don't you be seated. Thank you for those of you uh, with us on our online campus. Great to see those of you here in person. We've been on this um, five-week conversation of a 40-day journey, and today concludes that. I think it's interesting tonight. I know our young adults will be coming in here for worship. Uh, it's interesting that we're concluding these 40 days in that regard where there's going to be just a pressing in uh, of what God's desiring uh, to do. God always does things strategically and perfectly, doesn't he? It's just amazing how he sets that up. So I believe there's something to really worship into tonight for those that will be here uh, this evening. Six o'clock, right, Pastor Chris? Yeah, six o'clock. Um, today, the conclusion of our five um, main ideas that we center around is effectively discipling. You know, we are just always exploring a, a deeper understanding of who God's called us to be. I'll never forget one of our external elders, um, Steve Uppel from England, was having a conversation maybe two years ago now, and, and he, said, uh, he said, you know, I'm nearing 50 years old, and I'm just now starting to figure out who I truly am. And it just really struck me, because here's a guy who's, in, you know, ministry successful, travels all over the world. Uh, you would think he would have figured out who he was before now. Uh, but it just made me really stop and think, who really, um, who, who really am, has God created me to be? And have I really come into that understanding? And am I helping other people to do that rather than just try and compel them to become something that maybe I think they should become? How many of you know God has a plan for your life? And uh, it's far better to submit to his plan and who he desires for you to be than it is for you to try to fit into the mold other people want you to be. Or even who you feel like you should be. You didn't make yourself so you can't tell yourself why you were made. So it's really important that you discover what it is God's desiring to reveal uh, to your world through your identity that's only discovered in Christ Jesus. So effectively discipling really is, is so important that we understand our own identity in walking this out. So first big statement I want us to kind of uh, unpack and think about and, and kind of journey into. Jesus modeled for us that if we want to make a difference we must learn to make disciples. If you want to make a difference, then you must learn to make disciples. This is largely misunderstood in the church world uh, that you and I live in uh, today. And I want us to see that and understand that, kind of break that down uh, a bit today. Because the bottom line, making disciples actually validates your gift in who God designed you to be. What we don't want to do is try and present the one-size-fits-all discipleship program and get everybody squeezed into and then you lose your identity and you're trying to become something God never even designed you to be. I, you know, some people have said before, I just don't like to go out and, and you know, just talk to people on the streets about Jesus. And um, I don't, you know, I take this, other people are like, I can't help but tell everybody I meet about Jesus. How I many you know those are just two totally different expressions of two completely different gifts? And when you try to put those two together and tell them, no, this is what you're supposed to do, then you lose all sense of unique design that God purposed for you to have in your life. So learning to cooperate with your own unique design in making disciples is vitally important in, in the church becoming who God's called the church to become. So I hope to inspire you um, to be 
who God's called you to be. You know, the best version of, uh, of the inspiring you. And uh, I think about, you know, I talked about what Tracy and I do in our relationship and our date night. And, and uh, sometimes, I mean, you know, some people will not understand your efforts to be a better version of who God's called you to be. And so I was sharing how we do a date night and I will sometimes, you know, uh, purpose, especially when the girls were little, to go drive around the block, go knock on the door, actually come up, show the girls when they were little what a real man treats a real lady like. And, um, and I'll never forget Pastor Chris. He decided he was going to take Jana out on this special date and he went cologne up, got the flowers, went, walked up, knocked on the front door and Jana, she opens the door and she looks at him and she stands there for a second. She smells the cologne brewery going on on the front porch and she slams the door in his face and she calls me up. She says, Pastor Lawrence, you got to get over here right now. Pastor Chris is drunk standing on the front porch. <laughs> None of that really happened. It's a parable. That's a parable. That's what that is. Your best efforts will sometimes be misunderstood. But I just encourage you to make your best effort in surrendering to the Lord and allowing him to have his way in what he's calling you to accomplish in your life. Discipleship looks uniquely different in every person's life when it's done well. I really don't want you to try to be me, and I really don't want to try to be you. I want to try and figure out who God has designed each of us to be and fully cooperate with that unique design in the way we walk this out. So who in this room wants your life to count? Can I just get an amen if you want your life to count? Amen. We want our lives to count. So what does that even mean, make our life count? I want to make my life count. What does that mean? And I started thinking about what it means to really make your life count, how that looks. Um, I found this website. It's interesting. It's called Death Clock. Uh, and it's this website where you can log on to deathclock.com and you can put your date of birth and then you can answer a few questions about overall health and attitude and then it gives you your estimated date of death with a countdown clock taking you to your date of death. And I went through this whole thing and I was a little bit surprised at how soon I'm going to die. I was looking at this thinking, wow, that's pretty, uh, many of you are going to log on and check this out and I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to be a little freaky when you do it. It's kind of gruesome. But actually the idea kind of struck me as I thought about watching the death clock countdown thinking I just took another breath that is one less breath that I have to breathe in the countdown clock that I'm evaluating here of how many years and how many months and how many weeks and how many days and how many hours I have left to live on this planet. I want to make my life count, which means I need to make my steps count and do the very best I can every single day to wake up on purpose, on the purpose of God, assignment from God. I wake up, I don't wake up on accident and just meander through the day and hope the day goes well. I want to happen to my day. How about you? I want the day, I want to take the day by the tail and I want to exhaust the purposes of God all through the course of the morning, listening to what the Holy Spirit may have for me to accomplish in the course of that morning or the afternoon or the evening as I step into a deeper understanding of who he's designed for me to be. Now, I do want you to know, um, I was thinking about this this morning, our family has our issues, Tracy and Faith and Lexi's in the uh, booth back there and Faith was on the keys and Tracy and I are standing down here and, and, uh, and, I, and I was kind of reflecting, our family, you know, we, 
um, we're really in love with the Lord, and I'm so thankful. Tracy and I have been married for more than 30 years. We've been here almost as long as we've been married, uh, and, and I'm so thankful for all this. But, man, we have our issues. In fact, it might surprise you to know just this morning, my wife pulled a gun on me. I, I'm not even joking. Like, you're wondering, is he for real? I'm telling you the truth. She pulled a gun on me. I mean, I debated, should I say this? Because right now, I know there are people in the UK that they just don't even understand the culture of weapons in a home. But, but that happened this morning because the girls, they got in their car to get here early. And I went out to pr- make sure the car Tracy was going to drive after I left had air in the tires, that had light had come on. And, and I'm working in the garage. She does not realize that I'm still home. She thinks that I have gone with the girls to the church and so I'm working in the garage and the garage door is up and and I finish and I'm going in to say hey you're good to go and I literally walk into the house to my wife with a gun in her hand and I said it's me (laughs) don't shoot I mean and this is not the first time this has happened in our lives I'm just saying I want to encourage you do not show up at our house unannounced Tracy is a lethal weapon. I mean, we have our issues. But the thing that I've learned, when you're open to talk about what your issues are, they become a weapon in the hand of the, of the Lord to defeat the enemy in your life. So instead of covering them up, we want to be honest about those. So in two weeks, actually, Tracy and I are going to sit up here if I've recovered Uh, in good grace with her by then after sharing that story I just did. In two weeks on February 14th, Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about just some key truths of relationship, friendship, marriage uh, that God's entrusted to our care so that we might be able to offer some help, some support and encouragement uh, to those in our church family, those that may be uh, listening later online as that gets shared and so on. But I I believe that there are things that God's doing in your life that need to be shared with people around you. How many of you believe that? Let's just, let's just make sure we're all in, in unity on this. How many of you in this room, with a show of hands, do not have it all together? Could I just see? Just, okay, some of us went up a little faster than others, and the, the ones that went up the fastest probably are the most honest about, yep. <laughs> some of us were like, yes, <laughs> not, don't have it all together. We don't have, this is the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to have it all together to share what God has entrusted to your care with the lives of those around you. And in fact, not having it all together helps people feel a sense of release from having to strive for perfection. I don't know if you understand or not, but Adam and Eve fell in the garden because the original sin was the pursuit of perfection. And we in the church have in many ways embraced and endorsed and perpetuated the original sin by putting all this pressure on people to perform. And I want to say to you, relax, be yourself, trust in God, trust in his grace, and trust in the people around you to understand that grace whenever that grace is needed the most in your life. All of us need to realize, people around us need what we have. I, I heard the story, uh, I read it actually just a few weeks ago of a mother, and she stepped onto a train um, in rush hour in Manhattan. The train was packed, there's no place to sit. She had a seven-year-old son with her, and um, rush hour, the train's moving. 
the little boy gets a little antsy. He starts wiggling around, bumps into people, and this is Manhattan, okay? Uh, it's not a place where there's a whole lot of warm social life going on with strangers. And so she's, she's standing there, and she's trying to kind of pull him in a little bit, and there begins to be a little bit of a commotion between the two of them uh, as she's trying to keep him rallied and, and corralled, and, and people start looking from their phones up, and earphones come out as there starts to be some interaction, and she grabs him and pulls him in just to try and spare herself further embarrassment. And when she does, he slaps her hand away and looks her in the eye and uses the F word to tell her to leave him alone. Seven years old. Silence fills the train as it barrels down the track. The weight of those words on a seven-year-old's tongue needed a response but it never came. And the mother just bowed her head in shame. And that seven-year-old just leaned into his mom in silence. Slowly, eyes kind of went back to the gadgets, the headphones went back, and people knew they had witnessed in that train, in that moment, something deeply, deeply broken in that child's life. I thought about this. What does that boy's future look like? How will he parent his children one day? And then I thought, what's his marriage going to be like? I wonder where he'll work. I wonder what his life will be five years from now. He's 12, 10 years from now, 17, 20 years from now, 27 years old. And then I started reflecting on this verse of Scripture that says in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, Children, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. And the lack of honor shown that day suggests in this little boy's life it might not go all that well. People around us desperately need what God has entrusted to our care. Now, somebody in that situation does not need, how many of you know, they do not need a stranger stepping into that to offer unsolicited advice. How I many of that'll never go over at all? But what we do need are trusted friends. You know, you know how people will stab you in the back sometimes? True friends will stab you in the front. In other words, somebody you can really trust, they'll tell you the truth, even if it hurts. That's the type of relationship God wants us to learn to have with each other, where we're just so honest about what God is desiring to reveal. And sometimes there's a price to pay in that regard, but, but there's this, this movement I believe God's bringing us into in this next season of the church. We're really starting to pray into this and explore into this and what this is supposed to look like. But I want you to know the movement God is bringing into the body of Christ, and I believe it's worldwide, and we're going to start to talk about this a lot. We're going to do um, a Fuel the Fire Saturday morning event coming in March, and, and that morning we're going to unveil a lot of these ideas that the Lord's been really starting to speak to us about what the next season of church is supposed to look like. Between now and then, we're going to figure out some of, of what we're supposed to be sharing in that moment. We're working with, with churches worldwide now in consulting roles and partnering roles as they're sorting through some of these things. And let me just say to you, without any uh, 
question at all. This is a personal, relational, compassionate move of God that is highly relational, drawing people in to a greater understanding of the true love of Jesus, not from a standpoint of an organizational expression, but from mobilizing people in an individual revelation of the love of Jesus Christ to be engaged in each other's lives. How many know we need that? I need that from the people around me that I can trust, and they need that from me. We need that together. I love this portion of Scripture, and it really speaks to this well out of the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. Aren't you thankful God's been with you through the difficult times? He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times, so we can be there for that person just like God was there for us. It's a beautiful expression of ministry. And you know what it looks like in every person's life? Something completely different. This is not supposed to be one size fits all idea how this works. This is you integrating into relational connectivity with people around you, in the world around you, so that you can make a difference in their lives. And, and, I, and they can make a difference in yours. It's an exchange relationship. But this statement is so important that you understand it because it's about the body of Christ and how we are, I don't know, you know this, but Scripture actually teaches us we are baptized into each other. There's something really intimate and significant about that statement, but we aren't just showing up here together in the building to sing songs and be preached up a little bit. Come on, I want us to encounter God in these moments together in a profound and powerful way so that we're, we're walking out of here having a sense of God really is with us. It's not just Emmanuel that we sing in Christmas time. He really is with us. He was with you this morning when you woke up. He'll be with you tomorrow when you walk through your day. You will walk through every day this week and God is with you. And I want you to understand whenever you start to sense what God is desiring in the lives of people around you, that's a discernment that takes you into a highly relational capacity into the lives of people that desperately need what you're carrying from God within your life. Even though uh, there are things going on in your life that maybe you're uh, you would point to as disqualifying variables why you couldn't be used by God. We could all come up with all the reasons. But your deepest sense of purpose, your deepest sense of purpose is born from learning to be a part of other people's need. And we live in this individualized, independent society where we are so disconnected and and, and alone and isolated and, and not really engaged because we're so busy and we've allowed so many things to invade. We're no longer really carrying out. And I, I mean, I just, let's just be honest, we're really no longer in many ways carrying out the true mission of Jesus. We've abandoned the message of Jesus and we're trying to sort through and figure out what it's really like to allow Jesus to walk through our surrendered available lives. He's nicer. We talked about it last week. He is nicer than we are. He's more loving than we are. He's more generous than we are. He's more sacrificial than we are. And when we stop trying to pretend we're something we're not, and we just allow him to be who he is through our surrendered available lives, the world around us becomes this incredible, incredible place. So... Have you ever um, tried to make progress in your own life and you felt like it was two steps forward and one step back? 
And aren't you glad God never gives up on you? I mean, I, I've given God plenty of reason to give up on me. Can anybody in the room relate? I've given him plenty of reason to give up on me. But he never, ever has. He chooses not to. I'm so glad God never gave up on me. And because of that grace that's been extended in my life, I want to ensure that I never give up on the people that are around me in my life. I want you to feel that sense of support and strength and encouragement and hope. We can live a matter of weeks without any food. We can live a matter of days without any water. We can live a matter of moments without any air or oxygen, but you can't live for five seconds without hope because you're not living, you're merely existing. So we need to encourage each other in this journey uh, as we walk this out, and that's such a key to making disciples and making a difference. Matthew 28 is where we get the commission from the Lord himself, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Are you hearing me say that to you? Go and make disciples. You've heard that before. Go and make disciples. How are we supposed to do this? And I love, Mother Teresa said, not all of us can do great things. But we can do small things with great love. And I, um, I, I reflect on this experience in my own life often where I was invited to speak at the uh, Dream Center in Springfield. And uh, Tony Swillam leads the charge there and when I came in there it was really kind of wild because he's introducing me to uh, there were approximately 70 people in the Dream Center itself it's in a church structure and so there are others involved but this was primarily a, a daytime session with just these 70 uh, Dream Center students and most of them have fresh out of prison um, you know, not, not, your, not your typical church conversation going on in that particular moment. And I remember I had spoken a couple of times to them, so I had a bit of a rapport. And I was standing there in worship, and they started singing this song. And, like, these are, these are some of them, like, one girl had just come out of jail for stabbing her ex-boyfriend with an ice pick 27 times. I mean, there were some people in the room that I was just like, I'm going to make sure I preach a good message and keep everybody happy in this room. That was, that was where I was with it. And so I'm standing there, and, and they start singing that song. If you remember that song, I'm going to change the world. It's this chant song. I'm going to change the world. And I mean, they believed it. Like, they were, they were intense. They were singing it. And I, I remember standing there, it's something, just a, an alarm went off within me, and I, I ran up on the platform, and I said, stop. Are you really going to do what you're saying you're going to do? Because if you get all stirred up and inspired about something that you say you're going to do, and then you never go and do it, you're going to live a life of disillusionment. And this is where most churches in the world that we live in today dwell. And, and they were taken back because I'm supposed to be the guy coaching them up. And here I am somewhat disassembling their song. 
And I even went further. I said, do you know that to go around the world, it is 25,000 miles, and you're saying you're going to change the world? Are you going to change a 25,000-foot circle of this planet with all these people? On the, do you believe you're going to change the world? And at that point, they were ready just to not sing the song. And I said, I want you to sing this again, and I don't want you to think about a 25,000-foot circle. I want you to think about a five-foot circle. Because I can't change 25,000 miles of people, but I can change every person within my reach over the next week before we gather back. Come on, that is what God has called you to do, and that is what God has called me to do, that we might change our world. It makes Mother Teresa's comment really settle a little better. Not all of us may do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. When we come to church, our lives are enriched. When we become the church, our world is enriched. And I sincerely believe God's moving us into a deeper revelation of what I'm talking about as the body of Christ worldwide. So I want to give you just some, some suggestions on how this works. Um, how many of you actually pray? Like, you don't just say you pray, but you actually pray. You have times that you pray. Just raise your hand. You actually pray. So times that you focus yourself on. How many of you have ever actually developed a prayer strategy? Anybody ever done that before? Like you need healing in your body, and so you develop verses that you focus in on. You get somebody to pray in agreement. Anybody done that before, a prayer strategy? I just want to grow in knowing the Lord more intimately. So Psalms 84, 63, 42, the, the divide by two Psalms that I reference often are just these great passion chapters, and to memorize those and just rehearse them, that's a prayer strategy. And so you know, maybe you've done that. Maybe, maybe you turn the page every day. Turn the page, write the date at the top of the page. Start in the book of Genesis, go all the way through Revelation. Right now I'm in the book of Judges, and this morning as I was reading, I was just saying, Lord, the things I don't understand, let there still be a spiritual transaction. The things I do comprehend, help me to process those and think about those. I mean, just turn, just turn the page and write the date so that you have this heirloom conclusion. I mean, how many of you read your Bible? Maybe you take a different approach to it, but how many of you come to church? Uh, raise your hand if you come to church. That's you. Everybody here. Thanks for being here today. Glad you came to church. Anybody here? Go to a community group. You're connected on a, a small group level with a, a, a family and you've connected in that and, and you're you know, I mean you just think about the things that you do to know the Lord, things that you do to walk out your faith, things that you do and what you can begin to realize is those are your opportunities to invite somebody in on your faith journey. I mean inviting somebody to pray about something that you work with, I mean, I have a suggestion for you even how to do that because you don't know where they are. I've recently met a group of friends uh, through, actually through playing golf, and, um, and I, I've learned that to kind of feel out where they are spiritually, I will many times just hear a need going on in their life, and then I will simply let them know, or either tell them or send them a text message, hey, I want you to know, I remembered, one, one guy said that he, his family's going to family counseling because he had a teenager that was really walking through a difficult time. And I said, I remembered you said that this was going on, just letting you know I'm praying for you. You know what I'm doing? I'm praying for them and I'm looking for whatever response so that then I know what level of entrance so I can have further conversation depending on if they're open to that conversation or not. I have had people say, 
well, that's great for you. I don't believe in prayer. That helps me understand where they are, and it helps me know how to pray, and gives me some parameters so that I don't have to come in and try and be forceful, because that's not the point. The point is to be relational and compassionate and concerned. And when they respond and say, thank you so much for praying for us, I mean, you know, that opens a doorway then for further conversation. Do you understand what I'm saying? We make this so difficult, and all it really is is caring about people that are within your five-foot circle, and I've actually now had entrance in some of these individuals' lives. One man, uh, out while on the golf course one day, he was having pain in his shoulder, and I said, hey, could I just pray for you while we're, I mean, on the golf course, I actually prayed for somebody. It's really not that radical. <laughs> like the relationship had been established and I had a sense of entrance and what's the problem is many times we're just trying to, to force our way in because we feel religiously compelled and obligated to God that I'm supposed to share Jesus with somebody and so I'm all uptight and I'm looking for an opportunity and then somebody, you know, they come and I'm like, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I mean, you, you're doing that out of your own insecurity and craziness because you feel all this pressure. Relax. Be you. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be relational. Be you. Just be who God called you to be in a way that cares for the needs of people around you. And you'll be amazed how many doorways will begin to open for you to share the love of Jesus by simply loving people the way Jesus wants to love them. I know this is a little bit um, of a different approach of what I'm going to share, but your struggles become a great opportunity for an invitation for people to grow deeper in their relationship with God. Let me give you an illustration. You know, the Bible does say, in your weakness you're made strong so there's something about our weakness and our struggle that we need to explore and so let me just uh i'll just pick on i mean at he is such an easy target i mean here's this teaching pastor extraordinaire leads the uh leadership institute uh, for a Destiny Christian School leader, Destiny Christian Leadership Institute, where we're training, equipping, and preparing, and and um, going into the Book of Romans soon to understand. I mean, so, and, and Pastor At comes to me and he says, "Man, i just, I just have a hard time reading my Bible." And, and last week when he said, "I haven't read my Bible in six months," he didn't really say that. I'm going on a parable again. So, but if you are having that struggle in your life, then you can actually go to somebody who you have a relationship with and say, man, I just, I, I want to be faithful in my devotions and reading the scripture. I have a hard time with that. Let's be honest. How many of you here have a hard time being consistent in reading your Bible? Let's go ahead. It's okay. Being honest, looking around. I mean, that's a good number of us in the room. Do you understand? If you'll take that struggle, share that in community with somebody else and say, I have a struggle in this area. You think we could talk about how we're doing in reading the scripture together just so that I can be stronger at this myself and maybe encourage you in that process? Do you understand what's happening in this regard? I'm sharing a weakness and out of that weakness, then we are both going to grow strong. All I'm talking about is building a relationship and a rapport to be able to walk this out in a way that glorifies God and dignifies others and doesn't put you in a situation where you feel like you have to be programmed into this pressurized expression that doesn't even fit 
who God designed you to be. John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Bear, I want to, you know, Jesus says you should bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. And we've learned true disciples make disciples. Effectively discipling. So these are the five words. These are the five statements all put in this sentence form. If you could pop that up. I want us to say it all together as a church family. Because here we are on the conclusion of these five weeks. Understanding what it is to be outrageously loving people. Who passionately pursue the Lord. Let's say it together. We are outrageously loving people. Who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. I want to ask you this week to purpose to make a meaningful impact in somebody's life who is within your reach every day this week. How many think that's reasonable? Just make a meaningful impact, whatever that looks like. Uh, I'll never forget going through Starbucks and the, the person said, hey, the person in front of you paid for you. And I said, oh, great. Well, I'll pay for the person behind me. And of course, I was alone. The person behind me had like five people in their car. <laughs> it was such a blessing. <laughs> but I later found out, because I knew a person that worked at Starbucks, they said that started a chain of 15 cars paying for the person behind them. How many know a whole bunch of people had a much better day just participating in something so simple? Just purpose every day, some way, make a difference in the lives of people around you, and it's just not that hard. So um, this is the way I want to conclude. Our worship team can go ahead, if you guys will come back up. I have sincerely prayed for you today. Like this week, I prayed for you. <clears throat> this morning, I took time to pray for you. I stood over in that corner, and I just prayed across the room, Lord, as we're in this room. And we have a sense of this, the presence of God, what you're desiring. I just felt the Lord was saying he wanted to just have a conversation with us about how to be more effective at what he's designed us to accomplish. And I've prayed for you. Now, how many of you believe I really should pray for you before I preach to you? How many of you think that should, that should always happen, right? That really should happen. Now, I know in the world of ministry, there's a whole lot of preaching that happens without any praying. And that's a mistake, and I, I've, had to, I've had to learn this. In fact, when we were traveling one time, our girls were really little, and, and, and we were I was speaking at multiple different places in the course of a week, and, and one of my daughters said to me, Daddy, how do you know what to say to these people when we go? We're hearing you say this, we're hearing you say that. And I just said, well, it's really kind of easy. Instead of just trying to formulate a bunch of ideas and messages, I just pray for the people and get a sense of what God's already saying to them. And then there's something deep that transactions within them when I just cooperate with what God's already choosing to reveal. How many of you know that sounds like New Testament Christianity? Now, the reason I'm saying all that to you is because I want to challenge you. Don't preach to people before you pray for them. Don't preach to coworkers before you pray for them. Don't preach to neighbors before you pray for them. Make sure the people that are in your life, that you're actually taking time to get a feel from God of what they might be going through, the emotion they might be feeling, the weight they might be carrying, take some time to pray for them. Before you go and speak and minister and you know, bring the sermon in uh, with skin on it when you show up in their life. 
And so this week I reached out to a few people in our church and just said, who's really effectively made an impact? And, and I want to just share those stories, just a few of them. <clears throat> so why not? I reached out to Tiffany Edgington right here, row two. And lo and behold, she mentioned Bill and Gwen Mead. Gwen's sitting right here. Ben, uh, uh, Bill is traveling through a uh, storm on maybe online with us. Keep driving, Bill. Be careful. Be well. In Jesus' name, we declare Psalm 91 protection over him as he's traveling right now through snow. But Tiffany said this, the Lord placed Gwen and Bill Mead in my life at a time of most uncertainty, the most uncertainty that I have ever known. The love and understanding they've shown me in the last four years is something I honestly never expected from church-going people. Interesting, isn't it? I've always felt a sense of judgment growing up, but this amazing couple showed me how trusting in God, even in fear and uncertainty, will be a blessing more than I ever imagined. I'm so incredibly thankful that he gave me such awesome spiritual parents. And I want to say thank you to you, Bill and Gwen, for making a difference in Tiffany's life. Come on. And then there's this dude who wears these red britches to church all the time. Have you seen him? Randy, man, rocking Randy is what we call him. And Randy shared with me, uh, Sister Russell has made an impact. And I know that that's probably a surprise to Sister Russell because like they probably haven't ever gone to dinner together or anything, but you never know whose life you're impacting. And Randy said, Sister Russell is a constant inspiration during Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. prayer. On many occasions, I've watched her kneel on a hard concrete floor beside her walker to pray, reminding me that a broken spirit and a contrite heart are the sacrifices God truly loves. It was such a beautiful expression. We just want to honor you and say thank you, Sister Russell, for being such a prayer warrior. We love you. And I've got a number of these, and, and I'm just kind of watching to see who's in which service, but... Seth Shan, Seth and Julie, they're not in the room, but um, they're helping in kids ministry this service. But Seth said this, Ed, Ed James has been such a great friend and mentor during our short time at Destiny. He purposefully sought a deeper connection and genuinely wanted to get to know me. We shared a few burgers together and have really gotten to know each other on a deeper level. Julie has grown so close to Migdalia as well, and we are happy to call both of them true friends. Man, you guys from Memphis, relocated, right, from, and, and just felt like the Lord called them to move here, reached out to us online before they ever showed up, and this was, this was the purpose of the move. They felt God was calling them to relocate, to come be a part of this Destiny family, and clearly you're making a difference on a personal, individual level, even within the last... Uh, six months now that you moved here, whatever that is. And so we just want to say we're so glad you're a part of the Destiny family and we honor you for your investment in people's lives. Julie, Seth's wife, she said, our time at Destiny has been impacted by so many people. But for me as an individual, Kayla Martinez has been the most wonderful person to bring me closer to God. Her Bible study group has embraced me and she's made me feel so welcome and comfortable in my walk with Jesus. I'm blessed to call her a friend 
and can talk to her about anything and not feel judged as a couple. We've grown close to both Kayla and Caleb. They've become friends beyond church gathering and we enjoy their company and fellowship more than we could ever explain. For the first time ever, we have people we can do life with and can count on for anything. I just think it's amazing when we start to realize relationships make a difference. Just making a little bit of room for your five-foot circle. Would you just stand? Just making a little bit of room. Maybe somebody immediately comes to mind. Your five-foot circle, by the way, is not a physiological perimeter in the digital world in which we live. Our five-foot circle right now involves a group of people that are online with us uh, behind these cameras. A five-foot circle involves somebody that you think of that you can send a text message to or a a social media message, whatever that looks like in your world. A a five-foot circle is somebody you can make a phone call to or in a digital world, maybe provide a human moment and actually go knock on their door and just tell them that you were thinking about them. Whatever that looks like. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what it is to truly be disciples who learn to make disciples because we really want to make a difference. And I know that it's just not that hard. If we can learn to get our focus off of ourselves, off of our busy schedule, off of our distracted lives, enough to pay attention to the compassionate heart of God that longs to minister to the needs of the people right around us to help us make a difference in those who are within our reach. I thank you, Jesus, you reached into our lives. Thank you, in the midst of our broken state, you reached into our lives to redeem us and restore us and make us part of the freedom fighters that are in the earth, helping bring that freedom and that love and that life into the lives of others around us. We give you thanks, Lord, as we just press into you today. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Listen, we're just going to take a few moments and press in and worship. Part of our congregational assignment is to take these moments together. Just allow the Lord to stir something in our hearts and begin to bring that into an expression of song. Really affects the spiritual atmosphere of our lives and the lives of those around us. I just want you to know, if there's any way that we can connect with you, to embrace you, help you grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others. If you're interested in water baptism that we'll be doing February the 17th on our worship and baptism night, then take a moment and fill out a connect card. Drop it in one of our giving stations in the back or you can uh, text destiny to the number on your screen, those of you online, if you prefer to, to go that route. Come on, would you just open your heart wide? Let's just press in. Let's worship the Lord together just for a few more moments before we conclude and walk out the door.